Many people have problems with art and not with reality. So why is art different? It's pretty simple, right? This is knowledge, this is thinking, this is thought. Yeah, it does something strange with your head. Welcome to the Undergang Armchair. Bring it. Welcome to the Undergang Armchair. My name is Ondo. Hello, friends. Welcome back. Welcome back. We have a fantastic, if somewhat different than usual, talk for you today. We are joined by Lena Mech, who works in a in a gray area between independent game design and the arts, and uh, I found it to be really interesting. One could perhaps say that one of the complaints that's that's often leveled against the art world is, uh, correctly or not, this perceived separation from other spheres of, of life and society. You know, this clearly defined uh, space for arts to exist in. So talking to Lena really highlighted for me some of the uh, opportunities available for those looking for interdisciplinary collaborations outside of the uh, the usual boundaries of their craft. I spent a lot of this talk looking for her to define which uh, which world she walks in, but the truth is she walks in several. So I think you'll find this really interesting. All uh, all depressing world politics aside, I do have a couple of points of business here. Just some uh, just some shows to see. Namely, there's a Danny Fox and a Rosa Eakin show opening at V1 this Friday, which I suggest you go and see. Their sister gallery, 18, is also having a show by Thomas Erlison. That's right next door. And uh, those are two former guests there. So, uh, you know, I'll be there showing my support. There's also an exhibition by future guest of the show, Jacob Stangerup. And he is, uh, that's coming up next week, not this week. That's Thursday, the 1st of December, and that's at Martin Aspect. Jacob has to be one of the most underrated artists in Denmark, hands down. So if you do want to see some exquisite coal drawings, go see that. I'll put links to all those shows on the uh, notes page here on our website, undergang.net. And that'll do her. I will leave the word to Lena. It's killer stuff. Enjoy. But uh, did you say an erotic app? Yeah, yeah. What's uh, what's an erotic app? Uh, I've, unfortunately, I don't have it with me. But it's um, it's only for Android because Apple said that it's too crude content. Oh yes, Apple and their censorship. Yeah. So uh, yeah, and it's uh, it's uh, pictures or video recordings of real vaginas that are then very pixelated. And like colored, so it's like yeah. When you know what it is, you cannot unsee it. But if you don't know what it is, it's yeah. It's like it's just this weird pixelated stuff. Mm. And basically, you are like caressing it, and depending on how you caress it, the uh, the soundtrack changes. Okay. And then it builds up, and then it uh, and then erupts an in orgasm. orgasm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's only vaginas, no penises. No, only vaginas. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. They are underrepresented throughout history. So. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's it called? Uh, La petite mort. Like a mm-hmm. orgasm in French. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's yeah. uh, that's pretty awesome. I heard also about the Copenhagen at the at ITU. They had made a game called Dark Room. The Dark Room. Dark Room sex game. You mean? Yeah. Yes, that was my boyfriend too. Uh-huh. <laughs> I started to see a trend here. What yeah. uh, what what was that game about? It was about rhythm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's basically it's uh, with uh, PlayStation Move controllers. Uh, those are the joysticks with a little ball on top that is lighting up. Okay. And um, and you are two p- two people uh, looking at each other, and you have to. And each time you move your hand down, it will make a uh, sound. Okay. <laughs> so it's, it has to be two people. It's yeah. Interactive. Yeah, it has to be two people. And uh, basically, what you want to do is to become like be in the same rhythm of the sound, and it, it and it builds up. Until the climax again, mm-hmm. but you cannot like if you go off the written rhythm, you have to start from the beginning, and it it has to be like slow, slow, and quicker, 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 mm. and you have to do it together, and it makes all these moaning sounds on the way. So it's yeah, it's um, it's 
interesting. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it kind of strikes me as 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 perhaps games and interactive content are to humans' uh, interest in sexual matters the same way comics were in the 60s and 70s. Mm. You know, when mm -hmm. you started to see these, or even 50s, I should say, uh, these kind of underground comics talking about sex and, uh, you know, there's the whole uh, eight ball and even before that, um, I'm blanking on some of the names, but there was these, you know, they started talking about sex and there's like a whole yeah. generation of kids too that kind of, their parents were of a generation that they didn't talk about it and school didn't really talk about it. So some of their knowledge about sex came from comics, mm. actually. And now there's a generation of kids who are getting it from online. Mm. Obviously, there's issues with that. But having games exploring mm. these kind of things, too, is quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're actually making the whole uh, conference about love, sex, and romance in games. Really? Where, yeah, where they're trying to like uh, find out how to use games as, or how to make the medium mature, basically. Right. Right, because so, it can be very immature. Yeah, and most of the most of the um, how what is it called? Main, most of the mainstream games are very immature in sexual representation. Absolutely, it's very binary, and it's very much there's a lot of like almost rape culture mm -hmm. uh, there represented. So yeah, so it's not so nice. Where is that conference going to be? Uh, it's going to be. It's called Lust L Y S T, and it's going to be in Copenhagen. Oh, okay, um, in June. So I oh. can write you an email when it's going to be closer. I would actually like to go to that because it is one of those things which is kind of very a current topic of debate. There was, of course, the uh, somewhat well-known now Gamergate issue. Mm. And there is just a lot of talk about gender, binary roles, like you say, uh, gender. Um, you know, it has a lot to do with marketing, too, about computers and programming being marketed to boys from a very young mm. age. Uh, it seems like it's a very relevant discussion to have right now, and it really needs to be had mm. Yeah, yeah, in definitely. a lot of ways, um, which is a great way to segue into how did you get interested in games? <laughs> um, it's a, that's an interesting question, because I have been doing theater for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, it has been like... Seven years ago, I started doing started doing theater, and um, but after a while, I I saw that I the, what the things that I was mostly interested in was the workshops behind it and all the techniques that were we were going through, and the team effort also. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the team effort, and actually, I wasn't interested in the performance itself, and I was curious how to make how to bring audience to the process and for them to try it out themselves. Hmm. Um, that was one thing. And the other thing was that I was always interested how to make it interactive because somehow, I don't know, I, I was never comfortable with standing on stage and be like, this is me now and I'm going to perform for you something amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I thought it's, yeah. It wasn't that what interested is, you in the process. Yeah, yeah. It actually makes a lot of sense to me because I've been part of a lot of theater performances myself. And I always liked the behind the stage stuff also. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, the, the set construction and design mm. and mm. the communication that goes on with the team while mm. the event is happening, <laughs> etc. Um, so, yeah. And then, um, so I was, yeah, I was doing some theater at that point and... Uh, one very rainy morning, I signed up for a workshop that was called Making Performative Games or something like that. It was back in Prague and um, I really didn't want to go because it was so raining. <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness, what am I coming to? And I, I came there and there were like seven game designers sitting there and me. And that was it. Nobody else came for the workshop. <laughs> and I was like, oh. Okay, this is nice. Hello, everybody. <laughs> yeah, but it was a, a lovely day and I learned a lot. And then actually they offered me to work for them for two weeks hmm. because they got some money from EU where they had to employ also an, an artist from the, from the local area. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I started working with them for those two weeks. And it was uh, site-specific physical games where we uh, went out, interviewed a lot of people, researched the area, 
where, for instance, we got to know that in one park in the center of Prague, uh, dealers would hide um, drugs underneath the benches. And then we would got, get to know that a lot of people think that Prague is more like a museum, th that they don't feel that it's alive. It's more like this thing that is just in a in a box yeah. where you just go and look at it and then you go away. So yeah, there was all these interesting things, even for me as a person who lived in Prague, I didn't, I never thought about it. And then we made games around that, but it was purely, um, purely analog. And were you already an artist at that? I mean, did you, did you come from an arts background, kind of a visual arts background? <clears throat> or? No, no. So when they said they need to hire an artist, you were as a theater performer. Yeah. Yeah. Artist. It was more, yeah. Okay. More of a theater performer. Because they had already like one visual artist or the the stage designer, and they were interested in working with somebody who, first of all, knows Prague, knows the language, mm. and who has some kind of oh, they formative local. background. No, no, they okay. were yeah. It was an invisible playground from Berlin okay. who came there. Okay. So what happened? You uh, you loved it. You thought it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. And I was I was so excited about it. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to bring to theater mm -hmm. because I love this thing of giving giving possibility to audience to become part of something. So we would just provide a frame for the audience to interact with each other to explore the space, and that was it. And um, yeah, so I was somehow trying to figure it out how to do it. And um, I even went to theater school for one year. I was half kicked out, half, <laughs> half um, uh, yeah. Everybody, everybody agreed it was better that you didn't yeah. continue going to yeah. school. There. Well, yeah, it was, it was more like they were saying that I travel too much because I was going around, mm. around Europe for all these uh, play festivals. And for me, it was like, yeah, but I learned so much more at those play festivals, talking to my peers than here at school, learning yeah. about Beckett and, uh, I don't know, Aristotle. Right. Even though, like, it is important, but for me at that point, it was, yeah, not so... Well, it may not be important for everybody. Yeah, that's true. You yeah. know, and that's kind of the thing. I think a lot of arts education has a very heavy weight of history on their backs, mm. you know, and I... I <clears throat> I went to art school and I feel like there was a lot of time discussing history mm, yeah. and not maybe as much discussing, I don't want to say the future, but discussing now, I guess mm, I should say. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it works. I have, a, I have a friend of mine who's a very talented artist who constantly is discussing, talking with art history in his mm. work. But for me, for example, it doesn't, it's not so important. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm much more interested in contemporary art, and people could say that's naive. Maybe it is, but it just doesn't. For whatever reason, it doesn't engage with me. Just like the act of standing on a stage and performing mm. didn't engage with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. So finding your people mm. or your area mm. is important, even from the beginning. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So when did it turn into actual game design? Um, yeah, and then I had one year of like doing mm. kind of nothing, having a crappy job at a in advertisement company, which I hated. God bless those <laughs> crappy jobs. Yeah, they teach you about wanting to do something else with your life. Oh yes, that is so true. That is so true. And yeah, but the thing was that I at that point I already wanted to move to Denmark uh, because I was I, I already had a boyfriend here and I was also in, excited in the whole game design at ITU education. But the thing was that originally I'm from Belarus and I had a Belarusian passport. And if you want to come here, it's really hard and it's really expensive. And Not a EU country. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. They don't look so kindly on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so basically I was waiting for my, uh, for my application for, for Czech citizenship to get approved. And, um, and it was an amazing moment when I got this letter that I'm going to get the Czech citizenship. And I was just calling all my friends being super happy. It's like, yay, I got the Czech citizenship. And they were like, okay, that means you're leaving, right? right. Oh, good news. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's how it is. <laughs> huh. Well, it's interesting that you wanted to come here. I feel like the story often when people come here is I had no idea about Denmark, <clears throat> but then I happened to meet somebody mm. or a program happened or something. But you knew you wanted to go to ITU and you wanted to study games there. And yeah, yeah. 
because I had a lot of information from my boyfriend and also some of his friends from before about the education there and mm. about the whole scene. Right. Um, yeah, I met some of the guys here when I came to just visit. So, and I just loved it because the the games network here is just very uh, international and very welcoming. Mm. And a lot of people are doing very interesting stuff. So I find I found it very inspiring to mm. to come here and be part of that. And how was it? Um, it didn't really matter being a woman, being from another country. There wasn't much uh, kind of pressure about that sort of thing. Uh, no, not at all. Not at all. It was uh, almost the opposite somehow. Or yeah, maybe not the opposite, but people. The, um, People here in Denmark, or at least the, the games network I'm in, which is more indie game developers, mm -hmm. they're very much in, for inclusion and for... They, on the contrary, they're like, oh, we need more, ga uh, more games. We need more games. We need more games. We always too. need more games. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we need more women in games because we want, we want women to tell their stories and to show their point of views to the people. Well, I mean, not only is that um, kind of... I don't want to say it well, I guess morally correct. Mm. Not only is that egalitarian a good idea, but it's also good because it'll make whatever you do different than a lot of other things. Yeah, yeah. It will point out that this game collective, uh, or it'll just, you'll, you'll create different things mm. if you're, if you're open on that level. Um, but it seems to go against the trend of what is happening kind of worldwide game wise. Um, yeah, I, that is true, but it's also, it's, I, I would say there is two different, two different waves in the games industry at the moment where there is, um, the mainstream industry where it is mostly me men doing the things and also like people having fights in the big companies about even including a woman character in the game. Right. And um, yeah, but on the contrary, indie game community is is going opposite, completely opposite. There is a very strong feminist movement, right? Uh, and also, it's very open for LGBT people and so on. So okay. it's, it's well, it's nice to hear because as a person who's not involved, the mm. media story is always mm. oh, Gamergate, oh, this huge yeah. war against women in games and stuff. It's nice to hear that there is uh, something else going on too. There's yeah. pushback. Mm -hmm. um, That's important. Yeah, there is. A, I think there is a very strong pushback, especially as I said, from indie game community, but also academics. There has been, like, after Gamergate, there has been a lot of people from universities and like very uh, important or like veteran game designers who were standing on the side of women and saying, "Come on, like we we cannot just say women don't have a say in games. It's for everybody." Yeah. Also, if you look at uh, statistics, for instance, it is, I think, it has been 40% of women playing ga video games. Now it's even more, I think. So it is 50-50. It's not like women are not playing games. <laughs> right, right. So they might be playing different types of games, but it's, it's like a bit, it's like saying that, I don't know, women don't read comic books or... Right, it, it, it's familiar <laughs> this this discussion. Mm. We've had it before in other yeah. areas, and it, I mean, yeah. <laughs> But I mean, it, it's just so nice to hear that that there is this sort of uh, other world that exists where people are are making this sort of stuff. Because as a person who's mostly sequestered in the art world, I have a lot of interest in <laughs> this sort of stuff, but I don't have. Uh, I don't have real hands-on experience. I don't know that much, you know, mostly just because my wife works at ITU. Do I know about this stuff? And I find it really fascinating. And I think that the interaction between the art world and, and, uh, and, and, you know, games and technology in general, there should be more of a crossover. Our artists could gain a lot and gamers could gain a lot by working together. Did you see the show recently at Nikolai Kunsthal up on the second floor? They had a show with a lot of kind of interactive technology and art. No, I didn't. Is mm. it on, is it on still? It's probably. Not I don't right. think so. There was definitely some people from ITU though who had made works oh, for it. Yeah, I know, actually, I yeah, I know about it. There's I know the about spinning, it. Uh, the spinning plant wall with all the mm -hmm. plants in a boxes that spin in a circle. Oh, I think I, that works at ITU now. 
Yeah, I didn't see because it's. I think it's the real lab from ITU. Could that, be. Uh, it's like robotics evolution art lab or something like that. And um, yeah, I just visited them once before they had the exhibition, and I saw one one work. It was those. It was uh, flies that were print, fly printer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, I saw that one. Yeah, that, and that sort of stuff I think is very interesting. Um, but back to back to back to games. <laughs> uh, I think when you like, I imagine so you you came here, you started studying games at ITU. When you study games, is that very uh, kind of programming based, software based, or is it much more kind of abstract design based? Uh, the when I started studying at ITU at the games program, there were three tracks, which was theory and uh, game design and uh, technical part. And the theory was very heavy on theory and everything around it. Then the technical part was very much into programming and the game design was, um, yeah, was more into the design of the games. But uh, at ITU, um, it's focused on video games. So it's, it is always in collaboration with people. So how we, how we would work is mostly that a game designer would design a game from the abstract level, but also uh, you would, as a game designer, you would still be involved in maybe not programming per se, but you would be working in a game engine, mm-hmm. which is mostly Unity that we work in. Is that uh, a in, software? In Denmark. It's a game engine. Okay. It's basically, I don't know, it, it's... Is it the same as a programming language? Uh, no, it's more, I would say it's because it's it has two layers. Now I'm probably saying something that I shouldn't be saying and technical people would be like, what are you saying here? But for, as I see it, there is like two layers. One of it is um, an interface. You could imagine it almost like Photoshop or something like that, where you move around things, you can animate in it. It's a and graphical so interface. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then behind that, uh, you can program. And okay. you can also program for the interface. Okay. So how we would work is that you would, as a game designer, you would say to the programmer what to do, but then also you would want them to make tools for you so you can tweak the game afterwards. So for instance, it's very important, like game feel is very important. It's a thing that you don't think about when you're playing, but it's these tiny little things of how fast the character moves and how high it jumps and maybe... In the beginning, it, it goes slowly into the jump, and then it's fast. Right. And these tiny little details that makes the game feel good. Mm-hmm. And those are also the things that, it, as a designer, you, you have to tweak, and it's a very, it's a very tiny job. Mm-hmm. But it's also, it's also exciting to see then suddenly like how from something very broken to uh, suddenly you make it into this more and more interesting thing to interact with. Through small changes. Yes, through like, yeah, it's, it can be milliseconds and yeah, it's really fun. Uh, did you do design then? Yeah, I was at a uh, game design track. Okay, okay. And uh, one of the interesting things that I learned at ITU was that um, to go from prototype to the finished project, you, d- you make something that is so broken and it's you. You look at it, and it's like, oh my goodness, what is this? But you have to show it to people because right. you need to know if it's working or not. And when you get the approval that it is somehow interesting, then you can work on it more. But this thing of showing something so bad is just so scary, but also so important. It's really hard to ask you all to imagine it good. Yeah, as well. Yeah, you know, because yeah. that's the thing I have too. Also, when I'm making projects and I'm trying to like you know, get ideas and workshop and everything. Mm. That whole idea of being like, okay, this is shitty. Just imagine yeah. <laughs> it good though, because it'll be this, but good. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it, then not everybody can do it. Yeah. That's also true. Yeah. I had a show once where the gallerist, he told me after the show was done, the, uh, the prints I had shown him as a proposal mm-hmm. made his heart drop. He was afraid. He was like, Oh no, what's this show going to be? You know, he, he hadn't made that jump. And that's luckily he didn't tell me then. He only told me afterwards. But I realized, like, oh fuck, you know, 
that's important. You have to remember that people can't necessarily say, okay, this, but good. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I imagine that's very much the case in games, especially since you're working with so many different actors. Yeah. You've got the designers, you've got the, uh, the nuts and bolts people who mm. are building the actual engine and everything. Yeah, you have the artists, users, yeah. yeah, sound artists and so on. So yeah, yeah it, is, it is a lot of people. Yeah, but it, we are also, like, they were teaching us actually how to prototype and how to test for it. Because, as you say, you can't, some people you just can't ask for something, for some things to imagine that they're better. Especially, for instance, when you're working with children and you're making games for children. Right, they're like, this but, sucks, I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well i mean it's a whole it's a whole world you know and i think that um i don't know i find it really fascinating and the thing i found really fascinating about what you do specifically is the fact that you bring game design into a more interactive real world kind of uh thinking about it you know so it's a lot of the translating the things which happen in a game to real humans to real human environments and all that sort of stuff did you have you always been interested in that ever since the theater turned into game design, um, or have you come back to it? I was interested in that all the time. Actually, the reason why I also went to ITU to study games was because of that, and just this education was the closest to it. Because at theater they didn't like games and they didn't consider it art, so I tried it the other way around. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I was just always more interested in the interaction between people and how to build something that can that can create this this relationship because in my experience it's it has been just always so interesting to see how complete strangers they come together and they are a bit shy and they don't know what is going to happen, but once they start playing they become just so free and almost like children and they forget about everything and they're just into the game. But also afterwards, when those strangers are not strangers anymore, and even though you don't know much about background of the other person, suddenly it's your friend in some sort because you saved a, a bus stop that was a spaceship from the, from the attack of something mm. or you managed to... I don't know, you managed to make a demonstration that you were trying to make. And suddenly you just have these tiny little connections with people that are so easy to make somehow. Because you don't, maybe it is because you don't have this baggage of background and you mm -hmm. don't know the people. And you have shared experience. Yeah. Which you can say, we did this together. It's true. I've never thought about that, but that's absolutely true. Maybe we should change society so whenever you meet someone, you immediately play a game. <laughs> there are people out there who are saying these things. <laughs> that's very nice. I like that. But I mean, I think I, I, that's what I love because I'm I'm interested in in art as performance and art as as a part of real life, and I'm also interested in breaking down the barriers between what art is and isn't, and what the definition of art and its practitioners are, and all that sort of stuff. So that's why. It's 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 really important to talk about other you know areas of interest and and, and expertise in terms of the arts. Yeah. Um, your website to me reads very much like an artist's website, for example. Um, yeah. <laughs> Do you see it that way? Uh, yeah, but I yeah yeah. It's uh it's funny when I when I was going here, I was thinking of like how I would define myself if it's an artist or a game designer. And actually, I realized that I'm using the uh, one of the worlds or one of the names, depending on who I'm talking to. <laughs> if I'm talking to somebody who just doesn't know what games are and what they can do, I just say I'm an artist. If I'm talking to somebody who I want to more specifically understand who I am, then I say I'm a game designer. And there's no reason really to necessarily have to have uh, a wall between those things. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know? And, and, you know, one of the great hopes, I think, for modern technology and, and, and modern communication is this idea that we can break down the walls between otherwise extremely segregated things. You know, uh, the art world's terribly segregated. It's very small. And, you know, I've only been here in Denmark for 10 years, but I've, you know, in a short amount of time figured out most 
of who's where and what's happening. And I'm not saying that like I'm special. I'm saying it like it's that small, you know. And so, therefore, it's great to go and like, oh, but look, there's some game designers over there who are working on some really interesting ideas. Oh, there's some scientists over there or some, you know, engineers over here or architects or, you know, all these sort of uh, otherwise separated areas of interest can really come together. And, you know, in performance art, what you do is also part performance. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I kind of wanted to talk about that, like what it was like. I don't know if you, if you want, like I, I, I looked at some of the projects, but do you, I want to hear a little bit about what it's like to make one of the projects you do. I don't know if there's one that you have a particularly good story about or one that you like to talk about, but I want to hear a little bit about making one and then inviting people to participate and all that sort of stuff. I, I, I paid a specific attention to the one where people had to gather and play video games. Was that in Alberg? Where was that? <clears throat> and it was also one that was in, um, was it the Maldives? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we had the project in uh, Playmaker we, when we were doing games in oh. Maldives. The projects I make are, are not defined yet. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty new medium. Somebody calls it performative games, urban games, street games, reality-based games. And it's like, it's a huge... It's a huge amount of words to describe, but also to describe something that is very big. It's also like, it's almost like saying video games. Video games are so big. There is from shooters to the things you can play on your mobile phone for five seconds almost. Not to mention the history of games. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so this is a, it's a very broad genre. And um, what it has to, I think what it has in common is that you played on the streets, outside, in public spaces. You played with people, with technology or not. And at least what I'm interested in is the interaction between the people and the environment. Um, for instance, one of my first games that I made was called Welcome to Belarus. And um, some people called it that it's more happening than a game. Um, and it's I was inspired by the regime in Belarus, because I'm also from there, and how hard it is to protest there. Because people get in in jail just when, even if you're not part of the demonstration, you can be two blocks away from the demonstration and you can be taken by police and held for a couple of days. Yeah. And they don't care if you like, if you have anything in common with it. And, um, and then I saw some news where some people in Belarus, they started to, making, to make toy protests. So instead of being themselves in the streets, they would put toys with little posters up there. Genius. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so there would be like, it's not us who's protesting, it's the toys. And the same thing actually happened in Russia. And... Um, and also one of the stories that was involving toys was also when um, it was a Swedish advertisement company. I think it flew over Belarus and they threw out teddy bears with parachutes and some slogans as well. And Were they selling something or was no, it a protest? No, it, it was a protest against okay. Lukashenko and uh, the president of Belarus. And he was, he was really mad and he invited the creators of this project to come to Belarus to imprison them. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and they said that they're not coming, but he's welcome to come to Sweden and that they will pay him for a hotel and for his whole stay. I bet he didn't do it. No, he didn't do it. <laughs> but the best thing is I actually made, uh, met those guys here in Denmark. <laughs> wow, that's nice. <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness, you are my heroes. <laughs> now I met you. So yeah, back to the game. So basically I wanted to create... Um, this situation when you put toys on the street and uh, I was looking for mechanics how can you how can you translate what is going on in Belarus the whole thing of not trusting each other and and um, a bit like this sense of paranoia between people which I don't want to I don't want to paint it so like horrible in there. I go there myself sometimes and it's, it's not like people cannot live normally, but it is a bit when, for instance, 
once I was at home and I was watching TV and uh, the president was saying some stuff there and I was I just got angry and I was like ah you motherfucker and I started like shouting and then I was like oh my goodness what if there are some what if somebody's listening to it and they will just come knocking at my door that is a thing that could in theory happen yeah in theory I don't like I don't I don't know anybody to whom it happened but it just this constant fear is right. present there just the awareness of it i guess is yeah. a, is a weight in yeah. your mind yeah yeah and that is created by the regime right they they make it on purpose so you're afraid to say things hmm. so uh so i wanted to to translate this feeling of not being secure and not trusting other people into the game so um it has gone through a lot of testing and a lot of trying out But what I ended up doing is that I would have a group of 10 people. One of the person would be a demonstration organizer. And that person would know exactly where the demonstration is supposed to happen. And one person in there would be secret police. And the secret police could, um, could take the people in. And those people just had to become part of the secret police too. They could not say no to that. And, um, and the interesting part of it was that I created this mechanic where you walk around and you don't look people in the eye. And then once you look each other in the eye, then you can decide if you trust that person or not. And if you stay looking at each other, then you can talk to each other. And But if one of you just looks away, you, you are not allowed to talk to each other anymore. Like, of course, you can do it after a while. But sure. this this encounter is is over. And yeah, it created this very weird situation where people were afraid to look at each other. That sounds intense. Yeah, it actually is. And it's, um, yeah. So, yeah. So people were afraid to look at each other. They start rumors starting to float around and people are like, Oh no, but I don't trust him and I trust him and so on. And it's in public. Yeah. And it's in public, it, but it's like, it's in a small place. It would be like in a square or something. Right, right. So it's, it doesn't spread, but Every time I play it or every time I run it, it's so weird because I'm like, oh my goodness, what did I create? It's horrible. <laughs> well, I mean, that's interesting to use that as research. Yeah. You know, you learn something about, you know, the human condition under certain circumstances. Yeah. How does the game end? Uh, the game ends um, after a certain time. It has a time of time limit of 10 or 15 minutes. Uh-huh. And if there is enough toys at the spot where it's uh, where the demonstration is supposed to happen, then the demonstrators will win. Or if the toys are in different positions, then the police would win or the regime would win. Hmm. Did you have any concerns while doing the game there? Uh, I never did it in Belarus. Uh, okay. That's uh, uh, yeah to say. Probably I, smart. Yeah, I wanted to do it there, but um, yeah. To be honest, I'm just afraid also because I have a family there. I have my grandma and my cousins and so on. So I would not want to put them in danger just because of, yeah. Of you some. don't want to attract a certain kind of attention. Yeah. Yeah. Because also I don't live there, you know, for me, it would be easy to do it and go away. Right. But Thanks guys. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So, well, I, th- I think that's super interesting and I think it's, 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 you know, even a valid form of research. Yeah, yeah. Also, At least, if nothing else, personal research. Mm, yeah. Also, yeah, some. That's actually the thing I was thinking about with these games that involve people, like people acting out things or trying out things themselves, is that you can. You can also test some kind of psychology and you can see how people react to things, even in a very small environment where. It's very, it's very constructed, but still things go out or like things, you can see things happening only from a small situation Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. how people react to it. What about, uh, what about actual, uh, virtual games, games on devices and stuff? Have you spent a lot of time making those too, or is that just not of interest? I have been doing a couple of those, but I have been always interested in interaction between people. So, for instance, also what we do with Copenhagen Game Collective is that we um, always, the interaction between people is first, and or at least for some games, and 
but for me for sure, where we use um, where we are trying to get rid of the screen and bring use technology in order to to create a game between the people. So there is, for instance, um, a game called Monkey See Monkey Mime, where um, where players are holding again to PlayStation Move controllers. And one person is guiding the other people, and the guide would would dance, and the other people have have to mimic it. Mm. And the better they mimic it, the more points they get, and then they could win. Um, and basically, it is of course you could play it without the move controllers, but then it would it, then it's more like a theater exercise, right, it's actually. A performance so, in yeah, a weird way. yeah. And this uh, with the with the technology, you have actually a way to measure how precise people are and then to put it into the game. Right. To codify it and say, okay, this is that many points and yeah. this is that, and these are the parameters. And well, what is, I mean, tell me what is Copenhagen game collective? Mm-hmm. Copenhagen game collective is a, is a network of people, of artists, researchers, game designers, but also companies. It started in 2008 actually at ITU with uh, with the game Darkroom Sex Game mm. when they realized that they want that first of all there is interest in these weird artistic expressions in the game world and as well they they just decided to come together and to keep working and to keep working now it's uh, yeah a lot of people from the co- from the collective are having their own companies but then we still come together and uh, make games also make festivals and help out other festivals to do to curate talks to curate games and so on so it's kind of a loose grouping of people with similar interests yes. or at least tangential interests in games etc yeah yeah exactly uh what's the festival work um, that you guys have done uh yeah we we made a wood copenhagen play festival mm-hmm. for three years but now it's it's over but we are now in brainstorming mode of creating a new festival yeah <laughs> which where we want to combine digital games interactive art together with the physical play mm-hmm. so to create to bring these worlds together to to yeah to invite some artists in the in the process great idea yeah but that will happen probably in a year or maybe even <laughs> later God yeah. knows things take time. Yeah, yeah. I feel like Copenhagen Game Collective has become kind of um, a force. You know, like it's you know if you if you look around online, there's a lot of references to it. Uh, Darkroom Sex Game has gotten a fair amount of interest. Uh, you know, it's not just a hobby club; it's an actual you know it's it's a thing which is relevant in the world of games. Uh, and I imagine you guys also have a community kind of internationally that you work with too. Oh yeah, we definitely do, and um, and yeah, it's true that Copenhagen Game Collective has a very strong name out there, and um, I think it happened for first of all, it has been here for quite a while. It has been eight years now, but then also I think that's the power of collectives, and that's also what we are trying to say to other people who are making games out there to to go out and do their own groups because of course when you're on your own you can make only a certain amount of projects you can make only a certain amount of contacts to people once you are eight people ten people of course it's it, it multiplies by the amount of people so that also is why it's or at least in my opinion i think it's why it's spread out so much because we we also combine different people with different interests some of the people are interested purely in digital games. Some people are interested in weird combinations of games and music and art. Mm-hmm. Some others are interested in physical play. And like that, we can just cover a lot of ground with with our projects. And, and a lot of expertise. You know, one person's yeah. better at one thing than another person. Um, it must be hard to keep it all together, though, too. <laughs> to you know, to 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 make sure that you're all working on the same page, or at least you know, working towards, you know, it's hard without structure. Yeah, um, it is. That's true. Uh, luckily, we're all friends, so we liked meeting each other, and that's also uh, that's also a thing that we are really focused on is to keep it at a level where we can 
where we can still know each other well and when, where we'll just enjoy each other's company. Mm. Because as, yeah, as you said, it's hard to keep things together when it doesn't have that much of a structure, which we are, we are, we're just this loose group of people. Right. It's non-hierarchical. I imagine. No, no, not at all. Yeah. We do have a board and everything, but it's more, it's more like official. Yeah. Right. For, for the sake of, yeah. Of legal, yeah. you know, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's super cool. And I think, I think art could learn something from that because there's there's sure there's artist collectives but they tend to be units that create works and do not often do anything else aside from produce artwork whereas uh it sounds like you guys yes you create some games but you also curate festivals um you know manage international contacts uh, have meetings all this sort of stuff which i think probably the art world could get something out of you know and it's it's very it's also very non how do you want to say uh non-selfish what you guys do you're not just creating for your own sake you're creating for the sake of a larger project and you're 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 trying to kind of engage with current contemporary issues about gaming and you know etc so i mean i think it's great um how many people are you i think we're 12 people now at the moment it kind of comes and goes. Yeah, but it's it's more. But it's more. We are we are like a set amount of people. But some people are more in the background for some time for mostly work reasons. Mm. Because yeah, almost everybody has their own small game companies, which are just hard to to get going. Because uh-huh. yeah, it's a lot of work. <laughs> Yeah, so so yeah, so it's so it's a bit fluid in that. It's just because some people I haven't seen for a year, for instance, but they're still in because I'm sure they will come in next year because then they will have just more time. Sure, people have kids, life happens, yeah, stuff happens, yeah. Well, I mean, keeping it loose is also an advantage. You're able to be more flexible mm. in that case. Um, what did you guys learn from running a festival, like the play festival? Mm-hmm. Um. It's a lot of I work think, doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we learned, I, th- I would say, three things, or like three main things that I would like to say is, uh, yeah, one of it, of course, it's really lots of work. And um, sometimes one doesn't imagine it to be so much work. Or else you'd never beforehand. do it. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. That's so true. And it's, yeah, it's actually funny because it's um, every May... For, for those three years that we were doing the, uh, the, um, the Wood Copenhagen Play Festival, we were just like, oh no, it's May again. <laughs> Everybody's stressed out. Okay, yeah, now we know. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, so that's, that's one thing. It's just really a lot of work. Uh, another thing is that it is sometimes it can be hard to manage a lot of different interests. And that is something that, yeah, we learned Right. Uh, along the way right if you're passionate about one thing and someone else is passionate about another yeah. thing it's hard to make everybody happy yeah yeah exactly exactly and um yeah and the third thing is actually getting a the third thing is actually engaging people in the festival we had a, a bit of a hard time to get ordinary people involved and to communicate it clearly what the festival is about yeah because in the end, it ended up being half kids festival, which we never wanted to be. Mm. But but that it just evolved that way because it is when you say. Unfortunately, these days when you say play, the first association is children. And um, you have to call it the adult play festival. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was thinking maybe like no kids allowed or something right. like that to make it completely clear that this is not for children. <laughs> and it's not that I have anything against children. I also do a lot of workshop for ch- workshops for children. We're trying to connect games and play to the art world and to, to show people that it can be a mature medium through which you can express your stories, your feelings, your political opinions, like basically anything you want. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be just on the level of fun. Or, or childishness. Or childishness. Or however you want to define that. Well, I mean, God knows we adults need to play. 
Oh yes. You know, we yeah. need, you know, it would it would behoove us all to play every once in a while. You know, and companies, corporations talk about that. Oh, we need play and you know, Lego notoriously has playtime for their engineers and their designers and stuff. But I miss it. Mm, yeah. You know, and it's something that gets prioritized away always pretty much. It's the first thing to get cut mm-hmm. in a busy schedule. Um, but I mean, God knows there's a lot to be learned and to, you know, just for like you designing these games, you learned about human psychology from them. Yeah. And that's why I think the potential is kind of endless. Yeah, it definitely is. In a way. Um, and it'll be interesting too. You mentioned earlier that you might be, uh, you know, going on in an academic career with this. Um, what kind of direction do you see that going in? If you are going to work on that, is that more like design of interactivity for institutions like museums and art galleries and stuff? Or is it more games among an average (laughs) selection of humans or however you want to put it? Um, Actually, this ties to to the things that we learned from the festival. Because after curating and running the festival, I got very much interested in how to make these experiences more open for people. Because what I see every time we have an event, when it's open for public, and especially when it's in public space, people are afraid to join because they don't know what it is, they don't understand it, they have it associated with being for children. And that's something which adults should are not supposed to do. So um, my proposal for the PhD project was uh, to to look into how can we how can we design for museums and galleries these play or game experiences that would be entertaining for people and that people would see and say okay I want to do this so basically I'm really much interested in this first step of how to how to approach people so they want it how to invite them in yes how to invite them in and they feel welcome yeah and of course, like some people have been saying to me, oh, that's marketing. But I think marketing fails on that sometimes because it's it's a bit, yeah. It's more basic than that, though. I'd say it's yeah. communication. Yeah, yeah. You know, because marketing is kind of tied into advertising and that sort yeah. of thing. It's more about like, how do you get the message across of what you're trying to do? Yeah. You know, in an effective way, so people don't have time to be like, "Ooh, I don't know." Uh, oops, got to go. You know. Yeah. And that's tough because we're also trained. You know, society trains us not to play, mm-hmm. and that it's um, it's it, it could even be uncomfortable for people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and some people. I mean, for me, one of the rules I have in life is that if if I'm on the edge of something like that and it makes me feel a little uncomfortable, I'll try to do it anyways because. That can be good, you know, to to push yourself, but not. That's not something everybody has. Mm, yeah, you know, and it's something that fails me constantly. I'm also like, nah, you know, but but it, that's that's a really tough thing because you're fighting society, mm. basically. Yeah, with yeah. That. But, but I I did find already with the research I've done before ways how to how to do this, and you have to approach it through the design of the whole thing. That's also why, yeah, why I want to to go in this academic career in games and play because it is a design decision. It's not something that you put up a poster and say, "Hey, come here," right? Because nobody does that, or nobody will come. But uh, for instance, what I one of the biggest things that I researched was that when people have an opportunity to see it first, so if they can be spectators first. And if it's easy enough to join, then they might join. They can see other people aren't dying when they do it. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, or just because it's it's something that we don't do normally, right? Like play in the streets is just weird. And then if they see it's like, oh yeah, it's it's actually okay, and people are actually having fun. Oh yeah, I, I can join that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I do want to kind of. Wrap it up by mentioning, we talked about it earlier, the Hibicon, the mm-hmm. crappy robot competitions, which also is one of the things like here I am. I, I was a spectator. I saw some of it online and, and was just like, this is amazing. I really want to take part in this. And that's something you're part of uh, bringing here in Copenhagen. Um, 
can you tell maybe someone who doesn't know what it is, what it's about and, you know, when it's going to happen or Circa and what? Yeah. Just tell us about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so Hebacon comes from Japan. It's I think it's like two years old now. And it's basically a crappy robot contest. It's a sumo wrestling contest where two robots go against each other. How you know it from from these super technical, super engineered robots from Japan as well, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but here it's completely low-key and there is actually even a high-tech penalty. So you're not allowed to make too good of a robot. And um, so people enter with different scrap toys glued together and then you gaffer tape a motor on. And you need no previous experience in robotics, right? No, 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 no. It's just making things move however you can imagine it to do. Mm-hmm. So basically some people put just a, something on wheels from a ramp and then it goes downhill and that's how they get the inertia to move it forward. As the people use balloons and or rubber bands. It's very much about being creative with technology, not being afraid to just play with it, put it together and see what it does. Mm-hmm. And as, a, as Hebacon is celebrating crappiness, the crappier the robot is, the better. Even if it doesn't move, it's fine. It's just, it's for fun. It's for just enjoying getting your hands dirty and trying things that you maybe have never tried before. And if you look at some of these things on, on YouTube of people doing it, people are just dying with laughter. Yes. It looks like so much fun, you know, cause people are building just the stupidest fucking robot you've ever seen, but it looks just, yeah, it, it looks so much fun. It's such a good entry point for someone like me who has no experience with robotics whatsoever. I was immediately like, I want to do this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's open for everybody. It's children can do it, adults can do it, people with or without technical skills can do it. And actually, um, we're planning on having Hebacon in January, approximately. We want to do it an underground version of it. So we're looking for like a space somewhere in the basement where you have to say a code to enter it. Oh, so it's like nice. a real fight. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And um, we also want to contact some engineers and some labs that are doing robotics. And I'm actually curious if it's not going to be the most if it's not going to be the most challenging for actually for them to do something so crappy. Probably, if they're used <laughs> to doing a good job, yeah, it's yeah. going to be hard to do a shitty job. Yeah, but I, I would love. I, I really hope some of the people who who do robotics are going to join because. I think it's also such a great way of opening up for creativity and opening up just for stupid new ideas because a lot of the times from stupid ideas actually something very new and interesting occurs. Mm -hmm. So is that something like if someone was interested in taking part, where would they they find it? Um, On Copenhagen Game Collective Facebook page. We will be posting about it. Okay. Yeah, because I really encourage people to check it out after seeing what it was. You know, and I know some people who are actually uh, doing like PhDs in robotics, so I can tell them <laughs> that would be come amazing. By too. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And uh, I look forward to uh, fucking shit up at Hibicon. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Undergang Armchair. The intro and outro music was kindly provided by Johnny Ripper, and today's interstitial music was provided by The Passion Hi-Fi. You can find links to their music and tons of other conversations with great people on our game collective of a website, undergang.net. You can also find us on the Face, the Twitter, the Linked, all of those. And if you do like the show, we would appreciate it if you'd take the time to leave a review on iTunes so others can find us. Every little bit helps tremendously. This show is produced in part with the kind support of the Danish Arts Council. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) 